Well, Monday night, I was headed for an event at Impact Beaver Valley, and I thought I knew where I was going. I had been there before a couple of times, and so I just left my house, and I headed for where uh, this event was going to be held, and after about 25 minutes, it became apparent that where I was going wasn't where it used to be. It had changed locations or something because it was nowhere close to where I was driving around. And, uh, and uh, some might say I was lost, but I did what all of us men do when people might say we're lost, and that is I drove around some more trying to find the right location. And eventually, because I was going to be late, I had to text someone and ask them, I, I did pull over, ask someone to give me directions or an address that I could put in my GPS. I also had to turn in my man card when I <laughs> arrived for asking for directions. But that reminded me of an old story. This uh, salesman is trying to get to an appointment, and he's driving through the country, and he's lost. And so he sees a farmer by the side of the road, and he stops to ask the farmer for directions. He says, does this road go to Cleveland? And the farmer said, don't know. And he said, well, does this road connect with the highway? And the farmer said, don't know. And he said, well, where does this road go? The farmer said, don't know. The salesman, out of frustration, said, you don't know much, do you? The farmer said, nope, but I ain't lost. <laughs> and we might laugh at those stories, but in actuality, there's not much funny about being lost. It's absolutely not funny when you have to worry about being lost spiritually or having to wonder if someone that you love is lost. Our curious comment for this week was stated this way. This is a curious comment you might consider. And then the person wrote out this scripture from Matthew chapter 12. It says, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, without a doubt, this is a curious comment from the lips of Jesus in Scripture. And in Matthew 12, the religious leaders accuse Jesus of casting out demons using the power of the devil. And Jesus pointed out the absurdity of this charge. Why would Satan drive out Satan? Jesus says a kingdom divided against itself would be ruined. And that's when Jesus adds this chilling statement about what is called the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And uh, what a sober warning it is. Those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven ever. Wow. And it comes from the mouth of Jesus himself, so it has to be true. This sin of blasphemy or rejection of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. So if that's true, we really need to talk about this, don't we? 
I mean, we really need to know what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and why won't that sin ever be forgiven? And does this mean a Christian can lose their salvation? And there's usually two groups of people who ask this question. The first group are those who are just really curious. I mean, this verse doesn't fit with their concept of God or what they've always been taught about God, and they really don't want it to mean what it sounds like it means because if it does, their theology won't fit in a tight little box that they've tried to put it in if there's a sin that God won't forgive or if it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation. So one group are those who are just really curious, and the second group that asks this question are those who are just really worried they're really worried. These people also really don't want this to mean what it sounds like it means, but for a different reason. For them, the question is more than a passing curiosity. It's personal. They're worried about themselves or about their children or about their spouse. And they're wondering if the person that they're worried about has lost their salvation. And there's nothing more painful than seeing people who you love, who used to be excited about Jesus, living a life without Jesus. And some of you are worried to death about your kids or your grandkids or your spouse or a friend. And again, there's two types of people that we worry about when we face this teaching in the Bible. The first type are those who, they don't shake their fist at God. They just don't pay any attention to him. They don't shake their fist at him. I mean, they used to live for Jesus. They used to go to church. They used to read their Bible. They used to pray. They used to talk about the Lord. And as a parent, you took them to church. You took them to Sunday school. And maybe you were there the day that they accepted Jesus and were baptized. But they don't go to church anymore. And they might say that they're just too busy or they might say that the church has hurt them somehow in the past. Or they just think that church is boring and irrelevant. And they're not really hostile about Jesus and maybe not even hostile about the church, but they just don't seem interested anymore. And you're worried about them. You wonder if they've walked away from the Lord and if they've given up on their faith completely. And can I stop here for just a minute and tell you that the reason we do some of the things that we do here at Impact are because of this type of person. It's because of this type of person. In our world today, we have many, many people that really love Jesus, but they just don't like the church. They love Jesus, but they don't like the church. Their experience with church was boring and old-fashioned, and church was a place where people got all dressed up to gossip and to judge each other and to pretend that they were better than others around them. It was a place where people were answering deep theological questions that no one was asking. It was not a great place. And many people come back to church. Impact has been able to prove that many people come back to church when we can help them see that our church isn't stuck in the past and we care about them and we can show them how Jesus gives to us wisdom for dealing with real life problems that we face every day. 
And the landing, our new uh, impact moon facility, will give us even more opportunities to connect with people who have, who have given up on church. The community center side of our church at the new location will give people who would never think about walking into the doors of a church an opportunity to connect with us and find out that churches do care and are uh, more than just a place that is irrelevant and old-fashioned. So the first type of people that we worry about are those who gave up, um, who, who gave their life to Christ at one point, and they're not hostile towards Jesus, but they're not living for him either. The second type of person worries us even more. They worry us more. These are the people who also gave their life to Jesus at one point. They lived for him, and they went to church, but somewhere as a result of something they stopped believing in Jesus. They didn't just stop going to church, they stopped believing in Jesus. And they may tell you that they're agnostic. They may tell you that they consider themselves an atheist. They may quietly question what the Bible teaches or they may loudly ridicule what the Bible teaches. But either way, they've made it clear to you that they don't consider themselves a follower of Jesus anymore. And so our question for today asks, is there really a sin that God won't forgive? And is it possible for a person who was once saved to lose or reject their salvation? So let's take a deeper look today into God's word and into uh, theology to answer this question. First, I want you to see, sadly, it's possible to reject your salvation. It's possible to reject your salvation. Now, much of the Christian world teaches what is known as the doctrine of eternal security. That teaching says, once you are saved, you are always saved. And there's only one real problem with that theology, and that is the Bible doesn't seem to teach it. Look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of this coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, this seems to clearly say it's possible for those who have been saved to lose their salvation. But some Christian scholars would tell you it doesn't really say that. So you have to decide. You have to decide for yourself. Now, in my opinion, one key question will answer that for you. Here's the key question. Is Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Bible, written to Christians or non-Christians? Is it written to Christians or non-Christians? Now, if you aren't sure about this, or you've always been taught this doctrine of eternal security, I'm just going to ask you to read Hebrews and ask yourself, was this written to Christians or to non-Christians? And don't read what others say and what others have decided, and don't even uh, take into account while you're reading it what I'm telling you. Just read it with that question in mind. Now, I did that, and in my opinion, it is written to people who were Christ followers, not people who were not followers of Jesus. But I challenge you to do the research on your own. Now, here's a clue. While you're reading, 
look for words like brother, brethren, brothers and sisters. When I read it, I counted 11 times. Now notice how often the writer uses the word we, implying that he is writing to people who, like him, are believers. I found 46 times. And even the wording of this passage that we just read seems to indicate it. The people that he's talking about were once enlightened. They had tasted the heavenly gift. They had had the Holy Spirit. They tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. And then they fell away. This seems to be written about people who were saved. So unfortunately, as much as I want to, and I want to believe the doctrine of eternal security. As much as I want to believe it, I can't believe that doctrine. But the second thing I want you to see is this, and this is really important. It's not easy to reject your salvation. It's not an easy thing to reject your salvation. I don't believe in eternal security, but I also don't believe in eternal insecurity. And some of us grew up in churches that seemed to teach Eternal insecurity, you know, that you slipped in and out of salvation every time you sinned, and that is just ridiculous. That's not what Scripture teaches. They implied that if you were caught sinning when Jesus came again, so sorry, too bad for you. They implied that you were in danger of being lost, and those teachings are also not true or biblical. Look at this passage from 1 John chapter 5. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death and I am not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. This passage does indicate that there is a sin that leads to death. I think he is referring to the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But it also says that there are sins that do not lead to death. And some believers who have fallen into gross or habitual sin worry that they blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they have willingly and consciously and defiantly disobeyed God's will. Now they're concerned that they've grieved the Holy Spirit to the point that they have committed the unpardonable sin. They fear that they have lost their salvation, that they can't reclaim it. Let's look at two biblical truths that are really important here. First, our sin can be forgiven through Jesus. Our sin can be forgiven through Jesus. The Bible promises all sin can be forgiven through the blood of Christ. Look at this passage from 1 John 1.9. It says, but if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Would you underline the word all? He will forgive us, cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Now, I did a Greek study of the word all. This was written in the Greek, and so I did a Greek study of the word all. You know what it means? All. <laughs> Everyone. All of them. That's what it means. He will forgive all all our sins. If God forgave Noah's drunkenness and David's adultery and Moses's murder and Peter's denial of Christ and the apostle Paul's persecution of Christians, when they all repented, there is no sin that you have committed 
that he will not forgive you of, that he cannot forgive you of. He will forgive all of our sins through Jesus. But the second biblical truth is our ongoing repentance is crucial. Our ongoing repentance is crucial. Now, the Holy Spirit is the part of God that comes to live inside of us when we become a follower of Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that the primary job of God's Spirit in our lives is to exalt Christ, but also to convict us and convince us of our sin and our wrongdoing, to motivate repentance in our heart. Look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the helper or the Holy Spirit comes, he will show uh, the people of the world how wrong they are about sin, about being right with God, and about judgment. This is why Jesus reacted so strongly to the religious leaders that day in Matthew chapter 12. They were in the very presence of the Messiah. They were in the presence of Christ. And the Holy Spirit was working in their heart to convict them of their sin and to motivate them to repent. But they resisted the Holy Spirit's work and they attributed Christ's miracle to Satan. And so Jesus warns them that if they continue to resist the Holy Spirit, their hearts would become so hardened that they would lose the capacity to repent. And when they lost the ability to repent, they would never be forgiven because our ongoing repentance is crucial. Admittedly, there are different interpretations of this passage. Some commentaries suggest that this warning from Jesus was only for those who were living at the time that Christ was alive, and it was only for those who concluded that he was from the devil. However, I think the principle still applies today. When people continuously resist the work of the Holy Spirit, their heart can become so callous that they lose the capacity to repent. They lose the capacity to humbly turn to Christ. Now, here's what I think. I believe the sin of rejection or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a conscious choice someone makes. It's a conscious choice someone makes. It's not just that they have doubts. It's not just that they have questions. It's not just that they become interested in writings that tell them that these things aren't true. It's not about being mad at God because of a tragedy in your life. I don't think it's a, a sin that someone slides into or falls into accidentally. I think it's a clear decision on the part of a person who is making it. I think the person says, I know there's a God. I know Jesus died on the cross for me, but I don't care. I don't want the Holy Spirit in my life, and I don't want to be a Christian anymore. It just gives me chills to even say those words aloud. But when someone says those things to God, God is a gentleman. And with a broken heart, he honors their request. And when this happens, the person has rejected or blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and they have chosen to leave God's grace. But there's a problem in that Hebrews passage that makes me really uncomfortable as I read it. Maybe it does you too. Look back at some of the phrases that we read before in that passage from Hebrews 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. 
That word impossible is what's so uncomfortable and disturbing to me. You see, I don't want somebody who has rejected Jesus and then changed their mind, then come back to Christ to have God say, sorry, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to come back to me. I remember one man who went and told a pastor that he had rejected Christ, but now he wanted to repent. He wanted to give his life back to to Jesus and become a Christian again. And the pastor quoted these verses from Hebrews chapter 6 and suggested that he might as well go out and live a life of sin and have all the fun that he could because God was never going to forgive or accept him. I just think that's a total misunderstanding of this. I think it's a total misunderstanding. I think the passage is saying not that God will not give the person another chance, but usually the person will never give God another chance. It's not that God won't give them another chance, it's that they will not give God another chance. In other words, I believe the impossibility is with the person who rejects God and not with God himself. The impossibility is with the person who rejects God and not with God himself. Have you ever talked to a person who says they've rejected Christ? In my entire ministry of almost 40 years, I think I've known maybe five that I think have really consciously made this decision. And and if you've ever talked to someone, it's really difficult because they know all of the arguments you're going to give before you give them. They've heard it all before. And it's hard. It's almost impossible to convince them because they have known the truth and they've had the Holy Spirit and they've experienced the heavenly gift, but they've hardened their hearts against it. And I think Hebrews just acknowledges that fact when it says it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. You see, I don't think the impossibility is with God. I believe God remains the loving father that we read about in the parable of the prodigal son, always ready to receive back those who have pushed him away and even those who have rejected and blasphemed him. Well, let me pause here and say, if you have been worried about yourself, if you've been worried that maybe you committed this sin, The fact that you are worried in and of itself should be encouragement to you. The fact that you're worried ought to be encouragement to you. I mean, if you believe in Christ and you grieve over your sin, if you fear that you've committed this sin, then that in itself is evidence that you probably haven't. That you probably haven't. Repent of the sin that's troubling you and uh, troubling your conscience and trust God's promise that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's not easy to reject your salvation. It's not easy to reject your salvation. And it doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, it's because people decided to reject God, not God deciding to reject them. The last thing that I want you to see this morning is it's imperative to stay close to Jesus. It's imperative for you and for me to stay close to Jesus. Look at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Now, we talked about this in our growth group last Tuesday night uh, here, but Satan knows he has lost. Satan likes to pretend that he is as powerful as God, but he knows that he's lost. And sometimes we picture that Satan is kind of the CEO of hell, you know, that he's kind of in charge of hell and he's there punishing people. That's not true. Hell was created for the devil. Hell was created for the devil and his angels and Satan knows that he is lost. He knows that hell is for him and for his demons and he knows he can't win against God. The only way that he can even win slightly against God is to drag some people that God loves into hell with him. And so he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for prey, looking for a follower of Jesus that is vulnerable, and he wants to drag them to hell with him just to break God's heart. So we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to make sure that we don't become vulnerable, that we don't find ourselves prey of the devil. How do we do that? How do we stay close to Jesus? Well, it's really interesting to me that the verses in Hebrews just before and just after the passage that we've been looking at seem to answer that question. It seems to suggest that we focus on two areas. The first is that we need to focus on growing up spiritually. On growing up spiritually. Look at what it says. I'll read just a few of the verses, but I'll start with verse 14 of Hebrews 5 and then go through the first part of verse 1. Solid food is for those who are mature and Uh, who through training have the skills to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. This means that we need to grow up in Jesus. We need to work on becoming mature in Jesus. This means that we, each of us need to be in a growth group and we need to start spending time alone with God and using our time with God to grow mature in him. And our SOAP plan, SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Our SOAP plan is a great plan to help you feed yourself spiritually so that you can grow up. You know, sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that they should be fed through the messages in the worship service and they will often say things like I'm not being fed or I need more meat and what they miss when they're saying that is they are basically announcing to anybody that they say that to I still see myself as a baby Christian and I need to be spoon fed you see we will never grow up spiritually until we learn to feed ourselves and that happens best through our own quiet times with God and when we get into a growth group where others can help us to grow and develop spiritually. But growing up spiritually will help us to not be fooled by the schemes and tricks of the devil and it will help us to stand strong against his attack. Second, the passage seems to say we need to focus on producing fruit spiritually. Now, after talking about this possibility of falling away, the author of Hebrews seems to do kind of a strange thing. He begins to talk about farming. And he begins to talk about fields that produce a lot of fruit being blessed and fields that don't produce any fruit being cursed. And look what comes after that in the passage when he refers to the fruit that they are producing. I'll start with chapter 6, verse 10. Here's what it says. For God is not unjust... 
He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hoped for will come true. This says, if uh, I want to avoid finding myself far from God with a hard heart, I need to be serving him in some way. I need to be actively serving him in some way. I need to understand the gifts that God has given to me, and I need to jump in as a volunteer to use the talents that God has given me to influence others for him. Now, I know we talk a lot about growth groups and serving here at Impact, but it isn't just a commercial for our program. It really isn't. It's because we really believe for the best way for you to avoid the traps of Satan is by growing up spiritually and producing fruit spiritually. Now, before we're out of time, I want to deal with a question that might be the elephant in the room today, the question that many listening are silently struggling with, and that is, what if you love someone who seems to be falling away? What if there's someone in your life who you love and they seem to be falling away? My answer is basically one word, pray. Pray. Pray every day, repeatedly. Pray every time you see them, every time you think about them, every time you hear their name. Pray and pray often. It may take you years of prayer, but keep on praying. And here's what I suggest you pray for. These aren't in your notes, so you'll have to jot them down if you want them. First, pray for opportunities. Now, don't scold, don't preach, don't confront. But pray that God will give you opportunities to speak of the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. Avoid all of their attempts to debate small matters of faith, but take the opportunity when it's presented to explain how your life is better, how you have hope and joy because of Jesus. And if they are people who like to argue and like to debate, just refuse to debate. Only discuss it when it seems like an opportunity to express the love of Jesus to them in a real way. Second, pray for influencers. For influencers. If you are a spouse or a sibling or especially a parent, I hate to break it to you, but you probably won't be the person to bring them back to Christ. You probably won't be. I I mean, they know your failings. They know your inconsistencies. They've heard it all from you before. So pray that God will send into their path people who will speak the truth and the love of Jesus into their lives and into their heart. People who will answer whatever questions, sincere doubts that they have. People who can speak to them about that. And don't manipulate it. Don't try to arrange for people that you think they will hear to uh, speak into their life. Just trust God to send people into their path um, that, who they will hear and who they will talk about or who will talk about God's truth with them. And let God surprise you by who he puts in their path. And get ready because you probably won't hear about it for some time after it happens. I mean, when you hear about it later, you will know that God has been there and answering your prayers all of the time. Lastly, and some of you won't like this, but pray for them to be miserable. 
I'm not joking. Pray for them to be miserable. Pray that God will really let them feel the worst part, the consequences, the loneliness, the emptiness of their sin, that he will let them feel the loneliness of not walking with Jesus, that he will let them feel the empty place in their heart where uh, Jesus used to occupy and pray that they will experience misery and discomfort and painful consequences until they turn back to Jesus. Now don't forget, if they haven't yet rejected Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the Holy Spirit is going to be active trying to convince them and convict them of sin. And so pray that the work of the Holy Spirit and the misery brought on by their own choices will be enough to help them soften their heart and turn back to Jesus. I have people I love that I'm praying these prayers for. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love, but thank you, Father, also that you have not made us robots, but that you've given us the ability to sincerely choose or reject you. And now, Father, in this place, I just... Each of us have hearts that are breaking because of people that we love that used to love you too, who used to follow you and walk with you, and right now they don't seem to be doing that. And so, Father, we pray for them. We pray, Father, that you will give us opportunities to share not our best argument with them, but your love with them, your hope with them. We pray, Father, that you will send influencers into their life, surprise us by who you use in their life. And Father, we just pray that the full weight of their choices will be what they experience. We pray, Father, that that will be so painful that they turn back to you, that they receive again your grace. And Father, for us, help us to cling to you. Help us to stay close to Jesus. Father, help us each one to take the next step in our growth. Help us to mature spiritually and help us to produce fruit for you so that we can push away the attacks of Satan so that we won't become prey to his tricks. And Father, we pray all of this trusting your grace, trusting your love. In Jesus' name, amen.